give this thing a start. All right, here we go, guys. Sweet. Go. So, hey, everyone. Officially, happy Friday now. I'm joined by the one and only Carl Soderberg um, of Abel Ebenezer. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me, Joel. Yeah, no problem. Uh, before we get into the show show stuff, uh, you mind telling <laughs> folks what you do? Because I think you're one of the more interesting guests I've had on for that very purpose. Well, I appreciate that because I'm definitely one of the less technical guests you've had on. But uh, uh, So I'm Carl. I'm one of the co-founders, brewers uh, of Abel Ebenezer Brewing Company here in uh, southern New Hampshire. We're based out of Merrimack. Uh, we're going on nine years operating in the state uh we self-distribute across the entire state uh if you're in new hampshire you're probably very familiar with our products uh uh yeah really just enjoy being a small business owner and a crypto enthusiast for yeah. many years now and you're one of the not only one of the, the businesses that takes crypto in the area but also it's kind of like enthusiastic about it. It's just, oh, well, well, some of our customers demanded this and we think it's pretty cool, so we'll do it. It seems like you're kind of all, like all in, like what we could call almost a crypto business, you know? Uh, yeah, I look forward to the day when, I mean, the enthusiasm is obviously dropped, but I try to stay enthusiastic. I, I see it as a way, I mean, you know, crypto can be intimidating and I feel like spending six bucks on a beer is probably the easy way to kind of ease somebody into it and get them used to this is how a crypto transaction works. This is how easy it is. By the way, the fees were way, were way, uh, way less. And I mean, it just, it, it's a nice value proposition because people, uh, you know, vast majority of people, they, they get introduced to crypto through a news story. And it's like, you can just pay for your $6 beer. It didn't have to run through a bank. So I try to remain enthusiastic and, uh, you know, the enthusiasm will come back. So I think having the systems in place so that when that enthusiasm comes back, and people want to spend Dogecoin again. Hmm. Uh, we're we're primed and ready to accept those payments. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting how um, uh, it's starting to become so much more mainstream. And I, we'll talk about that for like the last last bit of the the news story stuff about you know the great adoption like building of this bear cycle, which I think is some really cool stuff coming up. Um, but first, we have to get into the the gossip because you know that's what that's what we do here sometimes so first off genesis creditors file securities lawsuit against barry silbert and digital currency group so uh have you kept up with this whole um genesis saga over the last few months oh yeah yeah so the creditors uh, I mean, are very upset for it, sure i could imagine i mean it's been it's been like one domino. I mean, 2022 was just one domino after the other. And, you know, uh, you know, a popular word around the crypto sphere has been contagion. And how is this going to pour into the next thing? And it's really just a byproduct of everything being over leveraged. And I think it was, you know, it, it took a, a strong bear market to expose all of it. And now everyone's grabbing for the money that they have lent out. And I still think it's going to be a while before any of this is sorted out. Um, but even people who are like, I, I want to get exposure to crypto, but I don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to do self custody. 
so maybe I'll buy this GB's TC thing. And I'm like, do you understand how that works? Like, I, and the answer is I mean, no. It's all they don't. Yeah, no. Well, it's yeah, the same people who ask me, should I buy sheep? I'm like, what does it do and how does it work? Like, what is? So I, I think that's the level of understanding in this market. People still see this as like an investment thing, as a way of generating more dollars, and that's really not the. I think when you study crypto long enough, you you realize that that's not the point the point is to go in and then not you're not so much investing as you are exiting the dollar yeah and that makes sense. increasingly you're not so much exiting the dollar as you are exiting the fiat system but then increasingly with like web3 and DeFi and stuff like that and nfts and all that you're exiting all the systems <laughs> and that's the part where it gets really exciting uh but so yeah people like you try to get involved with trying to get earn some yield or whatever uh which we're going to come full circle on this this point but they get you know getting to a centralized institution and all of this like Chris, crypto's never been stronger in my view but all the centralized institutions are taking a huge beating and digital currency group was one of the ones that was the most squeaky squeaky clean respectable suit kind of wearing of them all, of all these types of things, at least to the public perception. And they're starting to get some, you know, obviously the Genesis thing is like a big, you know, kind of like the first domino. But as we can see here, um, they're really not doing super well. So DCG companies have laid off over 500 employees as the contagion spreads. And um, yeah, they uh, exchanged Lunofire, 330 employees. And... Funny enough, in all this stuff, this is a name I did not expect to see in that thing. Um, Roger Ver, old buddy Roger Ver. Uh, Genesis is suing him for $20 million over unsettled crypto options trades. Now, did you hear anything about this at all? I did it uh, briefly, I think, last week. But, I mean, I mean, I'm surprised. But, again, it goes back to, you know, just over leverage and having your unit of account be the dollar. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's messy, but I feel like this is still like there's still a lot of mess out there that needs to be shaken out before because, uh, you know, this is kind of the this past cycle was kind of the, the first one where Web3 uh, became a thing mm -hmm. um, and that allowed a lot of people to get access to uh, leverage that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten through a centralized institution. And then once those things started to unravel or get hacked, uh, you know, the whole Terra, starting with the whole Terra Luna fiasco, uh, algorithmic stable coins. And I mean, we're still in that part of the, you know, the, the crypt, the lifespan of crypto, like we're still in its infancy where a lot of these systems that are being built that are, like we said earlier, very exciting. They still have a lot of potential to break. Um, mm -hmm. which has kind of been my thing whenever I'm reading or learning about something new, it's like, okay, so how does this break? Uh, because that's, that's what we've seen over the past year. Um, I don't think it's over yet. I think we're, there's going to be a few more surprises, but the one thing I'm confident of is, uh, crypto will remain. Uh, I think that things like Genesis, DCG, FTX, like those are, uh, those aren't crypto. Those are centralized intermediaries that messed up managing other people's money. And I think the point of crypto is complete self-custody, autonomy financially, and being able to deploy your capital as you see fit without an intermediary. So a lot of these intermediary crypto companies 
Um, I, I think it's inevitable that um, a lot of them are going to get shaken out. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think that the interesting thing, um, Roger Ver in particular, you know, he's a friend of mine and he's uh, uh, kind of been an OG in this whole decentralization, self-custody, all that kind of stuff st space. And it's been kind of interesting because he's been caught up in, I, maybe I should, you know, talk to him directly about his side of things on this, but he's been caught up in two different kind of insolvency things. One with CoinFlex, which was a more Bitcoin Cash ecosystem based thing where he had some sort of a, a similar like uh, long position and now, you know, Genesis. And it's kind of funny because in both cases, he says, I'm happy to pay everything that I owe. The thing is part of our initial contractual contractual stipulation was that you would remain solvent and basically says that Genesis lied about their solvency. They pretended to be solvent when they weren't. And so therefore he says, according to this, I don't want to, you know, pay my, my stuff back. So it's kind of, this is something I'm I'd like, like, I don't really care about this side of things as much. I mean, obviously we're both more about like principles and all that kind of stuff and not as much of, you know, the gossiping over the, um, the collapse of C5, which you know, unfortunately we're doing right now, but I'm always wondering if, um, if Roger kind of understood that a lot of these things were houses of cards and he decided to take like risky bets on them with a stipulation that would be fine if these were above board sound financial institutions, but knowing that they weren't, he was kind of betting, he was kind of profiting off of a bet that they were scummy and insolvent. <laughs> That's not, that would be an interesting thing. That's a, that would be a definitely bold move. Uh, I don't or know Roger Ver that. Yeah, like, I don't know uh, Ver that well, uh, but I do. I mean, I know he's done some cringeworthy things in the past, but uh, I mean, I still have a lot of respect for the guy because it was him, mm -hmm. Voorhees, and Shrem that first introduced me to Bitcoin back in 2013 when they were just kids traveling around the country trying to uh, teach boomers about this thing called Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in 2013, they got a lot of pushback and a lot of shit at their table. And I remember giving them a few hundred bucks to buy my first Bitcoins. And I'm like, I'm to in my mind, I'm like, I'm totally getting scammed right now. Um, but I think like through using it, you're like, all right, I kind of see what this is. And I see what the, the potential is as, as a payment network. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I give credit to Ver and I, I really like thank him and look up to him to a certain, to a certain extent. Um, just for introducing me to this whole new world. Yeah, so. I mean, that's for sure. They didn't call him Bitcoin Jesus for nothing. It is kind of funny how, like, <laughs> the world changes so much where this guy was, like, the rock star of all rock stars in the crypto world, and then his sort of standing changed to be the controversial adversarial person in a B-casher or whatever, and, you know, a god to that yeah, world. Yeah, that was but crazy. But then the rest, and then now it's even in even with that, it's just like sort of like faded away a little bit, and you know now there's like talk of insolvency and like getting wrecked and stuff, and which you know who knows? I mean, he says he has the money, says he can pay it back. He's a very honest guy. I think that if he didn't have it, he would just not say anything, right? But it's kind of funny the way I don't think my my perspective on 
him in particular, I don't think he's really changed very much over the years. It's just that the crypto space has morphed around him to where when it was just Bitcoin, it was just this, it was easy to be like, this is a very strong, ideological, very kind of Ian Freeman-esque sort of a figure. And, you know, that's, you know, hero to the movement. And then when the hero, when the, the movement grows and you have to have diverging visions, now it's hero to some villain to others. And then when it grows to such an extent where now even someone like him is, and I don't want to, it sounds mean by saying this, but I don't I mean only with the utmost respect. He's less relevant than ever because the space has grown so big that it doesn't need a Bitcoin Jesus to kind of like push it forward. It's just like, it's so, it's doing so well that just like, you know, that whole, um, you know, Ninja Turtles meme with like Splinter holding like the four little, little, the little turtles. And then when they're big and he's old, they're just like helping him along. It's like, it's kind of that, that whole set uh, sentiment, at least from my perspective. Yeah. It's, I mean, who's the, the Jesus of the past cycle was, it, would it probably be sailor? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's a, I, I mean, this goes all the way back to like, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto staying completely anonymous because I think the whole point of Bitcoin and what makes it such a rev- part of what makes it so revolutionary is there is no one in charge. There is no, uh, you know, key figurehead that everyone looks to to kind of give everyone the pulse of Bitcoin. Um, I mean, you, you can't say that about really any of the other networks uh, for the most part. So, I mean, I think it's inevitable that, you know, within the next cycle, there's going to be another Bitcoin Jesus that everyone's going to look up to and believe when they put on laser eyes and everything else. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. Um... <laughs> it was a wild cycle. When you brought up Bcash, I'm reminded of the, the blockchain war or the, the block size wars and the split. And I mean, yeah, we haven't had a Bitcoin holder airdrop in who knows how long. But I remember that. <laughs> And it was like a huge deal. And I remember sitting in front of my computer and watching the two hash rates side by side. I mean, like, all right, longest chain. Like this was, it was a pure test of, of one of Satoshi's, uh, uh, I guess, original theories in the white paper of the, the honest chain, the longest chain, the one that has the most work behind it um, will be the prevailing chain. And here we are. And it's crazy how much has changed since when was that 2017 or 18 like how much has changed um with the whole uh the whole narrative of because it was bitcoin versus bitcoin cash versus bitcoin sv um and then you have all these uh web3 platforms and l2s and uh so i mean i mean bitcoin cash is very easy to use and it's fast and i mean that's great but i couldn't imagine like trying to run a node but i guess no one's even using that network right now right yeah, and that's the other thing is like, according to a lot of metrics, Bitcoin Cash has done really well. According to a lot, it's done not very well. So like, uh, according to usability, there's over ten thousand merchants on the merchant map. Of course, maybe not all those things are were super like current, but then um, Saint Kitts has it as a um, a legal tender, and then. I believe there's a, there's a new startup that lets you spend it at like 200 million locations in India. And I interviewed the guy behind that too. And there's there's a bunch of cool people doing cool stuff. On the other hand, obviously the price isn't you know where it could be relative to the others, and the transaction volumes are pretty low. They've 
never really got off the ground. And so it's kind of interesting how like um, Litecoin has kind of gotten to 90, 100,000 transactions a day. So Litecoin's of all the digital cash variants, Litecoin seems to be doing the best in terms of pure transaction volume. And if you combine them all together, it's a like it's about a, a little bit more than Bitcoin's on chain. If you combine the Litecoin, the Dash, the Bitcoin Cash, Monero even, and Zcash, then it's all like, you know, it's all it's kind of it's kind of funny how like that scaling went, but like the market is is in the middle of like deciding kind of like which way to go for like segmenting for payments, for example. Yeah, I think we're going to be in that middle for a very long time. I mean, it goes back to users. Uh, everything, like what we're seeing right now, this competition between different, I mean, a lot of people call it toxicity or whatever else. You know, well, my chain are, is. The, there are toxic elements, but there's there's genuine, honest, like competitiveness of like, we're trying to do better than our competition. And then there's also like dumping on the competition. And those are very different things. <laughs> No, I totally agree, but I, I think it's it's all part of the process. Like eventually, this is all going to get shaken out. The bad chains, and and I, I'm not going to say what is good or what is bad. You know, it's something you actually put to me very well. Was the free market is always right? We may not like the answer, but the free market mm -hmm. is always right, and that's 100% true. And that's what we're watching now. And the key is not going to be the USD price pair that determines what projects or what networks will sustain. It's, I mean, that's going to be part of it, but it's really going to be users. Who's using the networks? So like the, the networks that have the builders, um, people running like a strong community, running nodes independently, um, and people actually using the network for whatever commerce they want to do, whether it's buying a beer or an NFT or uh, using DeFi to try to have earn some yield on their savings. Uh, it's really going to come down to users. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. And um, which kind of reminds me of um, this next one coming up here, which has been one of the more fascinating things I've kind of noticed. They did not expect to shake out this way, but in the in when you think about it, it's pretty obvious. But anyway, amid crypto winter, central banks rethink in-house digital currencies. In recent months, four countries that had previously initiated major CBDC pilot programs have scrapped their adoption plans altogether. Now that's uh, the libertarian, like, you know, 1984 money, like, you know, fever dream of like, this is the worst thing. Like, it seems to be, you know, making it seems a little gecko and not a dragon so far like the way the cbdc stuff has turned out and i think it's really fascinating um i'd like to know your thoughts on it before i try to monopolize the conversation again uh yeah uh i mean cbdc's do have the potential to be very dangerous to a free society uh you can look at china as an example of that i think they're still probably going full steam ahead with CBDCs. And I think honestly, CBDCs are probably inevitable in the United States as well. So a few months ago, I attended um, the New Hampshire Bankers Association's um, cryptocurrency conference that they had put together uh, in the wake of uh, New Hampshire's cryptocurrency legislation that they passed this year, um, trying to educate bank bankers on what this industry is and what the networks are and everything else. And there, there was a very long present or a very good presentation from the American Bankers Association in DC um, about CBDCs. 
Um, and I, I think it's inevitable, but I think it's it sounds like what's going to end up happening is a wholesale model. So right now, the way that dollars are moved, I mean, dollars are already digital. It's just that the digital networks they move on are antiquated and slow. And anyone who's used ACH or SWIFT um, can attest to that. Uh, so I think it's the same thing. It's so SWIFT over false advertising from their name. <laughs> well, it was it, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, the you know banks move large amounts of money amongst themselves uh, that we never see, and they move large amounts of money to and from the Federal Reserve, and that it's all being done on these antiquated systems. So I think it makes sense to to make that more of a blockchain based system. Uh, the scary model is a direct model. So they, they call that a wholesale model where just money that is not consumer facing being moved around uh, can be done faster, cheaper, but a direct model would imply that everybody has a bank account with the Federal Reserve and that basically nullifies the value proposition of local banks, Almost, I mean, 90% of what local banks do. Um, if all of your deposits in your account are at the Federal Reserve and they control uh, what you can and can't spend money on, like that's the scary model. And I think that's what China is playing around with now. I believe they're testing their CBDC right now in one of their provinces. Um, so I think CBDCs are inevitable because blockchain is a perfect solution um, for what banks do. Uh, the scary part is when if the government decides, why don't we just cut out the middleman and we'll just have everyone will have their account with the Federal Reserve. We'll know everything that everyone spends their money on. Um, so I know I do know that the American Bankers Association is fighting for the former, the wholesale model, because they represent the bankers and banks. Everything from community banks all the way up to Bank of America are not interested in seeing the Federal Reserve um, become the one bank that everyone has to bank with. Um, so I understand it from I understand that, that people are concerned and there totally is a 1984 storyline that that could go down. Um, but I, I don't think uh, I don't think that's going to happen in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, CBDCs yeah. are a fascinating topic. What I think is fascinating, particularly about the CBDC, the way it's played out is I feel like there is a there's this acknowledgement that the payment rails that we that we well hopefully not we but you know what i'm saying the rest of the world uses are antiquated need updating and that also crypto is the future and governments kind of know it so they want to be in on it however it's kind of funny but this big like grandiose vision for central bank digital currencies has been like downgraded with each passing year that reality sets in where first they're like we're going to create a digital dollar and all this kind of stuff and they're trying to figure out like we're going to create our own blockchain our own network run everything and digital all this kind of stuff and i think over time first off they realize wow we got the power we did our central bank by co-opting a whole bunch of smaller players like banks and payment industries and if we just do something new they all have to get agree and get along or they're going to throw a fit and they're going to call their their bought and paid congressman and all this kind of stuff and it's going to be a disaster so they're like well we got to tread carefully with that and that's like for example um libra or dm whatever facebook was trying to do their stablecoin project just 
didn't work out because of that because all these different players were fighting over it and so then they were like i so what i have a feeling that their next shot is okay we have uh stable coins on ethereum already and on polygon and on avax and tron and all these other places they already exist a lot of them are regulated usdc in particular uh censors certain transactions like certain addresses it cannot be sent to is built right into the smart contract like uh, the, the the ofac blacklist and stuff you can't send usdc there and so they're like well we're just going to do our own thing there's going to be a, a fed coin right we're going to do fed you know fed coin or you know usd on ethereum not even usdc we're going to do our, our own thing and just put it on all these networks and just because we can't innovate like the crypto world has and my opinion is they're going to settle on even less than that because it's still like, well, who gets to do what? I think they're just going to be like, look, we're going to regulate banks who issue their own stable coins like USDC is one and tethers, you know, another and all these kinds of things. We're just going to regulate that and just make sure that in order to be legally compliant, they have to back one, one for one with US dollars. And they also have to specifically have these like limit programmed in limitations of how they can be sent so that they don't you don't you know use them as cash so that they're not private and so that they're restricted in what you can use them for and so i think that they're that's what they're just going to settle for is just kind of like regulating existing stable coins and just being like all right there we go yeah i think that's that's probably the way this is going to play out i mean it makes the most sense mm -hmm. you already have these yeah you already have these banking institutions that are creating stable coins it, it makes more sense just to provide clear legislation so you avoid things like the Terra Luna collapse, where an algorithm is managing uh, the value of the stable coin via the destruction or minting of another coin. It's like, we now know that that model is pretty fragile. So uh, again, we're still in the infancy of the crypto, uh, you know, what the crypto life cycle will be. And I think it'll outlive all of us, but there's still gonna be hard lessons to learn down the road. And I think the government is, I mean, governments in general are, are not big at taking risks. So I, I would totally see them just rather regulate than trying to build an entire network and run it because say that they do develop their own blockchain and decide to run their own nodes uh, and do this CBDC 1984 style, like what happens when an attack vector is exploited that no one thought of before, uh, like that's, like that's no shit time. <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't, think the government, I don't think the government wants to get into that business. Yeah. That's the thing that, um, but I do think blockchain is the next step in how financial systems are going to work. Uh, it's going to be the foundation of how financial systems work. Uh, and the, the different features that, uh, dictate, what currency, like one network or one currency is better than another is gonna come down to, uh, I mean, it could be any number of factors, but that's that's kind of the process we're going through now. Do people care about speed? Do they care about centralization versus decentralization? Uh, do they care about immutability? Do they care about privacy? Which I know mm -hmm. is the next topic we're getting into, so. Yeah, pretty much. So this is, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Well, starting off something slightly different. NFT watch. Trump digital trading currency, 88% increase 
in floor price in the past 24 hours following new plans to return to Twitter. So like Donald himself is the Don Don is trying to come back to Twitter and just it's it's the whole doge mania all over again in this case where like Elon tweets a reference and people somehow extrapolate that to mean the coin dogecoin that's been here all along is all of a sudden something real is going to happen but it just it ended up being just you know doge has always been doge it's always been fun it's always been such wow and it continued to be wow but with lots of speculative money and now there's less speculative money but it's still wow but so the trump digital trading card things like honestly they sold out almost instantly i was going to buy one i don't yeah i couldn't believe that i don't i'm not a fan of mr trump sorry i'm <laughs> but i'm not a fan of his um I mean, these things I, look ridiculous, man. Yeah, and they, they look they look like absolute crap. Like, but I, I had a feeling that because of what they were, because they represented like a unique limited piece of the the overall shit show that follows this man around, I knew that would be valid. So I wanted to buy it, but then they sold out and I didn't want to pay like the incredibly inflate like I would have paid a hundred bucks. But more than that, no. And now it's just like all over the place. And whoever bought price these, is almost half an ether right now. That's yes, crazy. whoever. I mean, how many? How much is that? It's like a few grand, right? Uh, half ETH. Um, what's ETH trading at right now? Like fifteen hundred. So like seven seven hundred fifty bucks, give or take. Eight hundred bucks. Yeah. So it's like you eight x <laughs> your investment just by like buying this. Like, so if you you know if you bought like eight. Like, oh, uh, what is it? Ten of these things. You spend a grand, you'd be up to like eight grand. And you got a little vacation out of it and stuff too. It's pretty crazy. But like also the way Ethereum and these kinds of, and it's been a big criticism of mine, right? The way ETH and a lot of these um, smart contract kind of things work in the DeFi and NFT space, zero privacy. Everyone can see who owns what, what they paid for everything. Just like, and because it doesn't matter yet, because no one cares, it, no one, not many people have gotten harmed because of this, but it is a real problem. However, thanks to um, a fun little uh, interview I did the other day, I put this one out. Yes, I am using my own tweet as a, as a news item here. We need Railgun because otherwise everyone would know you bought that Trump NFT. And speak, so to explain, Railgun is a smart contract which offers uh, zero-knowledge proof-based privacy. And so basically... If you use a Railgun supporting wallet, uh, then when everything you do is just combined with all the other Railgun users, so then they'll say someone who uses a Railgun bought a Trump NFT, but they don't know exactly who it was. And then you could send it to another person who also is a Railgun, and they, they just, it'd be moving around in Railgun, but it would be like, you wouldn't tell. So basically, Unfortunately, that means it's more expensive because it's like a smart contract, right? So if like an ETH transaction is like a few bucks today, it'd be like 20 to 40 bucks to get like a railgun ETH transaction, right? Which is kind of nasty, but it's, you know, you get like Zcash level privacy out of it, right? And um, if you do it on Polygon where you basically don't have fees because they're so low, then it would be a few cents sending like private polygon and if which these are on polygon but i just think that that's like the next evolution of the of the of the crypto space now is now that we've gotten into this whole um defi nft web 4 web 8 whatever the hell it is 
and now we're starting to like have the waves of privacy and especially something super usable like Railgun, where you don't even have to like mess with it or do a special button. You just use this wallet and it works. And that's going to be kind of interesting. So I don't know your hot take on that. I kind of ramble a little bit. I don't know if I really have a hot take, but I, I do think privacy is, I mean, think of all the features that a given network or crypto currency can have. And it, it is it is interesting that Railgun does it in a smart contract platform and not on a new network. Uh, they're using, I believe, ZK Snarks, like uh, on the, how many networks are they on? Ethereum, BSC. Uh, but um, I think as- Polygon, as, as, a few others. Well as hackers and scammers get more sophisticated and find more attack vectors, people are going to become more interested in privacy as governments that want to put their thumb on crypto. So, cause you know, networks like Ethereum are so easy to track, you know, for your average newcomer to crypto, they look at the string of alphanumeric characters and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm totally anonymous. But it's like the moment someone can attach your name to that, that's it. Like I can see everything that you do. I guarantee you the government's, Governments around the world have tracking software uh, that can put all the pieces together. So, I mean, depending on where you live and what your use case is, uh, I think more and more over time, privacy is going to become um, as big of a deal as it is in the real world life. I mean, we don't want people knowing, like pulling up a website on Visa's, like if Visa's ledger was available and publicly browsable on the internet, I don't think anyone would feel comfortable with being able to pull up Joel and see your bank account and see everything that goes in and everything that comes out. It's just, we haven't gotten to the point yet where the average user, because I mean, this space grows exponentially every cycle. So, yeah. you know, as newcomers come in, they see the alphanumeric characters, they think, yeah, no one knows who that is. And it's like, but they do, they totally mm -hmm. do. Uh, especially, especially the people in DeFi NFTs. Yes. So, I, there, it's a huge value prop. Uh, I think privacy is going to be one of those characteristics that defines the networks that attract users versus the networks that don't. Um, so, I mean, all these tools, tools like Railgun, uh, I, I'm excited to see how it gets built out and see what people build on top of that. I mean, it's an yeah. exciting time. Yeah, that's for, you know, it's for damn sure. Um, that is one of the problems with privacy tech, like in cryptography is the amount of, of space that it takes up, which is what drives the fees up. And also it's what like Zcash can be a little cumbersome to use just because of how long it takes to sync with the network because you yeah. can't see anything. It's well, all being done through zero knowledge proofs. That's kind of funny. Cause last week I did a episode of the Zcash podcast on this channel and we broke down what was going on with that, which is, a spam attack specifically where it doesn't, it's not actually that bad to sync a Zcash mobile wallet. It's just that someone found out that for privacy reasons, um, the number of out, like the fees per transaction have to be kind of like the same. And so someone was sending two megabyte transactions, you know, and it was just making it very difficult for mobile clients to, to sync. And so, now they're having to introduce some differences in the fee structures. This is not a problem that other transparent blockchains would have, right? Because you, because can you just, could find the attacker. Yeah, but not only could you find the attacker, but also you could just charge different amounts via different things. But everything, anything that stands out in a, in a pool of things harms privacy. So everything's got to be uniform. So they're like, well, I'm just going to send 
a, a ton of data and pay the same price. And so they're kind of finding a way to limit that to make it work. But it's, it is privacy with crypto. Making privacy work well and be like usable is probably the most um, challenging aspect, I would say. Oh, yeah. But I think it has the biggest upside. Absolutely. Well, speaking of upsides and stuff, this has been something I've been really into lately, um, oh, which boy. is the the arrival of trustless staking yield on just about any coin. So this is a, a tweet from Paul Puey. Hi, Paul, of Edge Wallet, where he's talking about some of the, he's talking about a new feature that got implemented in, in Edge, which basically lets you access the ThorChain savers accounts and you can get money off of your, you know, get money, get return on your whatever investment. And some of these uh, APRs are pretty decent, like 9.81% for Litecoin. That's not bad. And I think I opened my Edge wallet the other day and I saw I can get over 3% of my Bitcoin. I'm like, that's not, I mean, it's better than the bank. And yeah. it is, and it's, and it's non-custodial. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, that's where the kind definition of. gets a hair split because it's trustless because like I've done this before, by the way, you can take, let's say the, like the, uh, the doge pool in, in uh the doge liquidity pool in ThorChain. There's an address, the savers address. You can just send dogecoin from any wallet to that address and it, it starts earning interest automatically. And then you send a dust amount of dogecoin from the same address to that address. And it just auto refunds you. Like you don't even have to like do smart contract or anything. You just, it's all like an automated cool system. Um, now the thing is obviously like all the money's in there. Like it's never loaned out. It's always there just used for liquidity and you can get it out anytime. It's always, it works. It's automated. The only thing is like, what if the protocol itself was hacked and they found a way, an exploit to just drain some of these like liquidity pools. That is the risk, but you know, there's always a risk of a lot of things. I don't think it's that big of a risk. The other thing I should point out, um, is there is a, a protocol associated fee to deposit and withdraw. So um, there's another screen in Edge that when you use Edge to deposit, it tells you how long you have to hold it there before you break even from the withdrawal and the, and the deposit fees. So it's not like it's nothing, but like it, say you put some Bitcoin cash in there and then it, you have it going on for, you know, a month you might not quite break even yet, but by the end of the year, you know, you will be at like 6.7% ahead or 6% ahead or whatever, for example. So that's a little addendum. The reason I bring this whole thing up, by the way, is other than just it's cool and I like talking about cool things, I think this is one of those last barriers to mass adoption that people are gonna start to get. This is the reason why everyone got wrecked by FTX, by, you know, Celsius, by, Gemini or Genesis from Gemini. And then crypto.com might be another one to go. I don't know if I'm spreading FUD, but who cares? That's why everyone got wrecked is because everyone was chasing those sweet, sweet gains. Um, Voyager, that's another one. And the reason those sweet, sweet gains were offered, I believe, other than just why not, if you're scammy and you know play fast and loose, is they were trying to compete with DeFi. They were being like, people get all these yields on DeFi, we can't make that happen the same way. So CFI overstretched itself trying to compete with DeFi and just got completely wiped out and wrecked. And so 
people want to make money. And this is, I mean, that's, it's most stupidly simple free market principle. People just want to make money. They want to do things that advance themselves. And so if you're like, why don't you use the super special uncensorable money of the future and buy your beer at Abel Ebenezer Brewing in Merrimack, New Hampshire out of it, right? Why don't you do that? And they're like, yeah, I'll just use my, I'll just use Apple Pay. You know, it's like, what, what, but it's like, but if you have this, you can make, earn this interest off of this. And then, oh, okay, maybe I'll get into it now. Maybe I'll give it a thought. And then if you have like this big, like pot of, you know, savings from all this stuff, hopefully you started staking at the, the beginning of the bear market. And then when the bulls starting to come up, you're just like, wow, I have a lot of money now. What am I going to do? I'm going to go take my wife out to a nice night of a couple pints at Abel and Venezuela Brewing in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And then they're like, oh, look, I can do that. Then it, then it clicks. Now it's their money. So I think that, I think that this kind of trustless staking thing is like the big thing that's going to just like push people right over the edge where they're like, I could use crypto, but it, it requires too much new knowledge and stuff. I'm going to stick with my old ways where this is like, well, but what if I, I might learn if I can earn from learning? I 100% agree. I mean, I discovered DeFi this past cycle. Uh, having a way to earn yield because before it was just you hodled right like that was it mm -hmm. it just sat there in your in your wallet or your course your cold storage uh once people realize that they can deploy their savings uh and earn yield on it the same way that banking institutions earn yield i mean those are systems that typically you had to be an accredited investor or a bank a licensed banking institution to get access to um, now you can do that in a trust. I think that's the big thing is trust. Trust has to be built um, and watching all of these companies, which it, they're, they're just called crypto companies. So if this was your first cycle, you kind of roll it all together into one. You're like, well, crypto's dying again. So yeah. I think trust um, and then working through the, the various attack vectors. I mean, we had mango markets. That was a big one on uh, the Solana chain. That was a DeFi trading, lending yield staking protocol and uh their liquidity pool got hacked uh i don't i'm not even sure if that protocol is still running but like these are all the hard lessons that are gonna have to be learned before the mass public decides because right now we're all risk takers all of us who are mm -hmm. here who are playing in these networks we're taking on risk that everybody else isn't willing to take because they don't trust it and i think that's where like what we were talking about at the beginning having that understanding of how all this works and trying to find out how does all this break um because if it doesn't break, the, the, the networks that don't break, the systems that don't break, and they continue to add value to people, they are inevitably going to survive and grow and thrive. And I mean, it's exciting. I think ThorChain's been around a while too, though, right? It's pretty dope that it's now integrated right in the Edge wallet. Yeah, it's like middle of, it's like early mid, like mid 2021, I think, when ChaosNet came out. And then it's like, later last year i think it was main beginning of last year was mainnet so chaosnet had a couple of exploits and then their treasury just paid everyone back so everything was fine but that was like exploits there was a, a couple months it was like ethereum was down but this is chaosnet this wasn't actual public thorchain since thorchain has been public it hasn't had an exploit that i can think of there was something there's been a couple times they had to pause the chain because some bug or because like there was some issue with a different chain and since then, but for the most part, like as far as like people losing money on Thorchain, like 
not from speculation and the rune price going crazy, but like from actual like losing money, like the money is leaving it. It hasn't happened in mainnet. So, and as far as even in chaos net, no, they, the amount stolen were small enough that it was easy to just recompensate with the treasury. So this is wild shit, right? This is crazy stuff. This is new stuff. Fingers crossed. Um, so I got a sad and then a happy thing to touch on, on our way out here. Um, first thing is a sad one, which is, I just, um, threw this last minute, but, uh, from library, uh, our last day in court will be 3 PM this Monday at the Redmond courthouse in Concord, New Hampshire. There'll be a party slash morning celebration to follow. Everyone's, everyone's invited betting and bingo sheets are encouraged. Um, so library basically lost their lawsuit against the sec and now they're basically getting like the judgment and basically how many pounds of flesh will they lose? Um, I, I try to remain optimistic. I also am pretty much ready for the whole thing to just, just burn to the ground. Unfortunately, government does a great job of ruining a good thing. And anyone who's watching this right now on Odyssey, um, as you know, understands the implications of this because Odyssey, which I'm streaming to right now is, does run on library and if the library goes away they'll have to find a different like blockchain to run on but also rumor has it that the, the sec might be going after the odyssey company as well so there's a possibility that within the next couple months i might just be only streaming on youtube which would really not be happy so i'm gonna be there um don't want to dox to my location whatever but look you know show up and support um they're good people they've done a lot of good stuff so for the last little thing to turn into a, to a, a happy time, um, everyone who jumps on this show, um, I feel like I need to compensate in some way. So I create, I have NFTs for subscriber perks and awesome things like that, like super chats. And there's a proof of work and a proof of stake element. The proof of stake element is give me money, I give you NFT. But there's also the proof of work element, which is help me out on the show, show up as a guest, and you get NFT. And so there you go, kind sir. Thank you very much for being on. I'm presenting you Thanks, officially buddy. with the Digital Cash Rundown uh, guest NFT. Uh, I already, this is the first time in the show's history I actually sent it to you before the show. So I'm actually not, not late. But yes, all you have to do in the NFT when you're looking at it, there's in the description, there's instructions of how to like verify it on my Discord and Telegram as well. You can go to either one, my Discord channel or my Telegram channel, and then they should be able to just click a button to just sign a transaction to verify, and it checks if you have the NFT, and then you get in. And if at some point you don't like me anymore and you get rid of the NFT, or or you just still like me but you'd rather sell it to someone, then you get booted out of the Discord and stuff because you don't have it. And whoever else has it. I don't have to deal with KYCing whoever has, like, you know, nah, it just... It's um, actually that's a really utility. good use case for an NFT, man. That's that's a dope idea. Yeah. And, oh, and thank you for getting me onto the Polygon network for the first time. I can't believe after all these years, I've never actually, I know a lot about Matic, but I've never actually touched the network. So now I have. Yeah. Uh, so now I need some gas so I can pay for transactions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thankfully, I don't think you need any gas to um, 